0: If you disagree with me, I am open to discussing this with you and maybe you can change my mind. But the problem is, is if you're tying it to party, whether you're Candace Owens or you're Alyssa Milano, they'd get ripped open by their own communities. Of course, they're not going to do that.
1: Welcome to Revelations, the place where we communicate truth to power. I am Cole Johnson, and I am so glad you're able to join us. He is Chicago proud, but now he lives on the West Coast. Ladies and gentlemen, one third of the VFU podcast or voice from the underground and the producer of said show, Jason Dutch. Dutch is his moniker and this is his revelation what's up Cole Cole Johnson what's (laughs) happening Yeah, man. I mean, I could do cool sports, but that is not the show. <laughs> no, it's not, but it's the voice remains. Like,
0: I love the voice. Like, you've got the little macho man going on there where you you stretch out the sentence just a little bit. Oh, yeah,
1: you snap into the sports Slim Jim.
0: But, yes, uh, we love your voice. We love your excitement, your exuberance. You're the, you're the man, brother. It's, it's crazy that you said you've known me for almost two years holy crap it's, it's been that long it has it's like it'll we'll be doing podcasting now with voice from the underground two years in um october yeah and mm-hmm. we came across you like within the first like eight weeks or so I yeah would say.
1: i begin this show with a first-time guest as i do with every first-time guest i have to open the way Let me open the way and pave the road to the man that we call Dutch from the VFU podcast. All right. So you don't live there now, but you did grow up and I think you were born to in Chicago. So how was life in the Windy City for you?
0: Well, yes. I am uh, 45. Jeez. I know. Uh, I, I know. Calendar just keeps moving. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm originally in Chicago, and I do live in California now. I live in Bakersfield, California, which is for those who don't know—and why would you? It's Bakersfield. Um, it's sort of south-central California uh, geographically. It's about two hours north of Los Angeles. Um, in fact, it's about two hours from from everything. But I'm from Chicago originally. I am. Uh, my family still all lives there, so I go back to Chicago at least twice a year. Um, usually a couple weeks for the holidays. It's, you know, growing up in Chicago was just awesome. I mean, the cold weather sucks. I mean, everybody says to me, oh, you know, aren't you glad that you got out of the cold and you got out to California? And I say, yeah, you know, negative 10 sucks, but 110 isn't so wonderful either. So I really don't see where I won a prize of any sort, um, but but uh but Chicago is home, um like I said, my family is still there, so I go back a lot and it's just the culture of that city the be- the, the beauty of that city not uh, and also the the bad parts too, you know it just makes it an amazing place you know it's so it's so diverse yet it's yet segregated you know it's it's the only t- city that I know of where I can go to where you know you've got the Polish people on one block and the Italians on another and the blacks on, you know, one a couple sides of town, and you know Puerto Rican village, Chinatown, it German town, uh, Greek town. It's, uh, it's really strange, but it's also at the same time beautiful. I'm a huge Cubs fan, a huge Blackhawks fan, semi big Bears fan. Um, I'm more of an NFL fan, but I mean, I am a Chicago guy. My before we came on, I was showing you. You know, my, my apartment here in Bakersfield is, is all Chicago everywhere. So it's it's something I rep, you know, nonstop. It's being from from the shy, or as my daughter calls it, shy rack.
1: I don't understand why she wants to glorify that part of it. But All right, so you mentioned a whole ton of things that I figured you were going to mention. Black mm-hmm. was one, Bears another, and we'll get to those two in a minute. But how did you become a Cubs fan? And not well, a
0: White that's Sox fan. That, that's well. First of all, who are who are White Sox fans? No, oh.
1: um,
0: the um, that's that's actually an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I was born in 1974 during the doldrums of the Cubs and the end of the Wrigley ownership, beginning of the um of the Tribune era mm-hmm. of them owning the Cubs. Um, mm-hmm. and it was a really dark time in the you know from a winning perspective. Uh, the Cubs had, you know, shortly before I was born in 1969, they had that epic crash where they fell to the Mets with the black hat and all that stuff. Right. And so obviously I wasn't around for that. And then during the seventies was, you know, your best player was Dave Kingman, maybe, or Bruce Sutter, who was more yeah. better known as a Cardinals player. Right. Yeah. A really dark time. So my dad is a diehard white Sox fan. One of my first memories of baseball, was uh the 19 well in in 1982 in 1982 my dad brought me to comiskey park Mm -hmm. and yes i know it's called guaranteed rate field now but screw that it's always comiskey park to me i'm a purist so you know Mm -hmm. the willis tower is not the willis tower it's the sears tower Tower. Mm -hmm. um so comiskey park old comiskey and the game that I went to, they were playing the Boston Red Sox. Now, I did not know it at the time, and I didn't really put two and two together until uh, some, uh, maybe two decades later. But we were, I, I remember there was a guy who came up the bat. And first of all, during that game, Jim Rice hit two home runs. So I immediately became a huge Jim Rice fan, and I actually became a Red Sox fan right away. The, the reason why I became a Red Sox fan other than Jim Rice was because my dad was a White Sox fan, and I wanted to be like my dad like everybody right. else, but I didn't want to be exactly like my dad. So okay. I figured my socks are red. His socks are white. So <laughs> I, I spent a couple of years as a Red Sox fan. You know, I was seven and eight and I guess maybe part of my nine year old year. And then 1984 came around and I knew there was a team yeah. called the Cubs. And the I, I, Cubs. I knew that my dad, he, I actually didn't even realize that they were a professional team. I just thought they were this <laughs> other uh, yeah, you got to put this in context of a little kid, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, the Cubs started winning in 1983, uh, the and it was really the Sandberg game. The Sandberg game, which was on national television, um, where he hit two home runs against Bruce Suter. And the Cubs ended up winning that game, I think, in like 11 innings. Um, mm-hmm. I just totally fell for Ryan Sandberg. Uh, I think that was probably in May or something of that year, right around mm-hmm. my birthday. And... Um, I also found out that we lived in a town called Crete, which is borders, Indiana, but it's a South suburb of, um, Chicago. Right. And it as as it so happened, I knew that the guy who lived next door to us was Mike Squires, who was the first baseman for the Chicago White Sox. And this is back in the day when ballplayers made good money, but they didn't make the money they make now. Right. You know, a lot of these guys had some, you know, summer or, um, Winter jobs and winter stuff jobs. like that. Right. Um, and then I found out that two houses further away was Steve Trout, mm. who was a Cubs pitcher. So for Halloween that year, which I'm, I'm guessing was after the Cubs were already, uh, had already been eliminated. I don't, I don't remember how the calendar went that year because the mm-hmm. Cubs won the division in 1984. It was right. their first win in a long time, and I was hooked, so I'm dressed up as a Cubs player.
1: Okay. But I was still
0: like, you know, a casual fan. Like, you know, how huge of a fan can you be at nine, ten years old? Right. I went to Steve Trout's house dressed as a Cubs player for Halloween, and I got this red carpet rolled out for me that was ridiculous for a trick or treater. I mean, his wife took me in, like, gave me a whole bunch of candy, took pictures with me. I met Steve Trout. He gave me an autograph. Um, And. Well, I never really became a Steve Trout fan mm-hmm. uh, because I was already a Sandberg fan. I just right. like I was like this is just the coolest thing in the world mm-hmm. um, and there was actually another Cubs player who lived uh, around the way too Bobby Dernier actually also lived in Crete Orlando Woolridge of the Bulls lived in Crete it was like it's crazy Mr. Mm-hmm. T you know there's a lot of people who lived in Crete who were again back in these days, the money wasn't the same. Right. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it It was, that was basically how I became a Cubs fan. I know that's a really, really long winded story, <laughs> but you know, I have to put it in context cause like I, but I still felt like I was being like my dad cause now I was rooting for a Chicago team. I was just not exactly like my dad cause I am rooting for the other Chicago team. So, um, but at least we still have the Blackhawks in common,
1: my dad and I, so right.
0: we team up over that.
1: Okay. Well, you mentioned Blackhawks and yes, uh, yeah. Mm. I can see how 1984 would rope you into being a Cubs fan because that was a magical year. I remember. And then the year after that was the Bears. But you mentioned, I would have to say, the most successful professional sports franchise in recent memory in Chicago, the Blackhawks. So, Mm -hmm. are you as huge a hockey fan as you're a baseball fan, or you're not? Okay. No.
0: Um, I I watch the Blackhawks. Mm -hmm. If Nashville is playing Edmonton. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be tuning tuning in for that. Gotcha. I, I watched absolutely none of the NHL playoffs last year because mm. of uh, well, I watched the last game seven because I because it was St. Louis and they had right. never won and I want, I wanted to see if they were going to win. Yeah, um, was hoping they wouldn't because even though they had nothing <laughs> to do with the Cardinals, they're still St. Louis, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, well,
1: I'm I, so I, sorry they know. broke through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: It's I mean it's okay for St. Louis. I mean they're they're I guess that you know that they deserve everybody deserves something once in a while. But as a Cub fan, you know I I kind of you always kind of root for the, the underdog, right? Like yeah. being in L, near L. A. Now, the Clippers. <clears> I, I would definitely like to see the Clippers win over the Lakers at least because of my being a Cubs fan. You know you you sort of get empathy for these other bad teams like the lions and the Bengals and stuff like that. Yeah. But, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the Blackhawks though, I am a big fan of. Um, But like I said, I just, I wouldn't call myself a diehard hockey fan by any stretch, though. I will say Olympic hockey is, I am going to not swear. The Olympic hockey is the S H (laughs) like, I love it. Olympic hockey is, or at least it was awesome. I really, really enjoy like the all-star game. The mm-hmm. NHL and the Olympic hockey because those it's it's just super fast paced, you know a lot yeah. of scoring, it's super fun to watch that, but then again, it's almost commercial hockey. you know hockey yeah. purists would call me um, a, a poser or, or yeah. for stuff like that. so
1: yeah, the game is wider open. Yeah, mm-hmm. like more the international play, yeah, versus yeah. the NHL, which is a little more defensive-oriented. Yeah, I, I totally right. get that.
0: But being at a hockey game live, I'll go to any t- – I mean, I, I go to – right yeah. here in town, we have the Bakersfield Condors. Mm-hmm. Are the, they don't have it, – it's not AAA, but it's basically AAA. Uh, mm-hmm. It's NHL, um, affiliate of the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. And they, um, I mean, it's just a blast being at those games. It, the, hockey is a great sport to see live, and I will yeah. go to a hockey game anywhere, anytime. If anybody, if somebody wants to give me the tickets, one You're third.
1: <laughs> of Voice for the Underground and the main producer of the show, uh, Jason Dutch, joining me on Revelations. And now we are going to walk on that bridge from what made you the guy that you are into where you are now. And uh, I call this segment The Bridge to Prosperity. Bridge to prosperity. I wanted to touch on one of your loves that you talk about on your show, which is your love of the Marvel cinematic universe. So, mm. or criticisms of it as well. In your opinion, okay. since you, well, since
0: you, first yeah. of all, you said bridge to prosperity. What makes you think? <laughs> I mean, this what prosperity? I Number one, um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I absolutely love comic books. Yeah. You know, I'm a comic book kid. When I was a kid, I grew up reading Spider-Man. Uh, I read Luke Cage. I read justice league. Um, it was a big part of my childhood and the MCU, I mean, right from Iron Man all the way through, uh, has been just an incredible ride. Mm-hmm. And everything those Sons of Guns touches turns gold, man. I mean, literally. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But I mean, it's just been a great ride. I'm glad there's a bit of a break here after the last Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Um, because it I sort need to detox a little bit. But um, but yeah, Marvel has been a huge thing for me. Um DC also, I mean, I, I'm not as I was a DC Comics kid more than I was a Marvel Comics kid. I mentioned I read I read Spider-Man and Luke Cage, but the rest of Marvel I didn't read at all. I, I read mostly DC stuff. Like anything Justice League or um Superman or Deathstroke or uh Deadshot I was reading it. And I was hugely into the DC nomenclature. So I'm a, I'm still cheering that they fix their stuff because um They they still they have a lot of good potential there, but they've just been dogged out by Marvel and and the way that Marvel has turned comic books into like what you're watching on screen now is basically a comic book. It's it's an offshoot. It's not exactly what happened in the comics. There's some Easter eggs, but it's been an amazing ride and like you really really fall in love with these characters. Yeah, the way that they've done the storytelling. There are some criticisms there, but you know for the most part it's been just off the chain
1: okay All right, which leads me to my next question so uh, in your opinion why do you think the mcu has left the dc comics version of their universe in the dust
0: well there's a couple reasons for that um number one was that the the writing was pretty poor for for dc um, and also a lot of people were expecting okay so dc created comic book movies more or less right marvel copied them mm-hmm. um but marvel did it a lot differently they did it with a lot of tie-in they did they, they took time to develop the stories because the, what the, what, hap- what happened with marvel was marvel kind of did this by accident iron man was not expected to be as right. big of a hit as it was, right? Like right. that Robert Downey Jr. is ultimately responsible for the MCU. And frankly, DC comics does not have Robert Downey Jr. So, yeah. you know, take Robert Downey Jr. out of Marvel and Marvel is not Marvel.
1: I 100% agree with, you that.
0: know, so that DC was trying to do something that not only do what they've done before, because DC was always darker mm. um, with the exception of Superman was always darker. And they wanted to retain their their darkness, but at the same time, people were falling in love with this bright, colorful, quippy, you know, uh, comedy infused MCU. And they weren't Justice League just isn't as palatable as that in the way that they filmed it, you know, because they wanted to be darker and more serious and and more cinematic. Mm-hmm. And that sort of stuff. Also, the CGI with Marvel is just significantly better. Yeah. But mostly, it's the writing. You know, I didn't hate Suicide Squad so much. I thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't life changing. The villain was was bad, but but that's the other thing. Is like with with Marvel, you have Loki, you have Killmonger, you have a lot of villains who have been tremendous. And mm-hmm. with DC, you had the kid from. Um, uh, what's-his-face, uh, who played Lex Luthor, the kid from...
1: Uh, yeah, I, can't, I I know the face. I can't think of his name.
0: Mike something, or I, I can't remember the kid's name either, but he he was from a lot of those, like, Seth Rogen movies. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So you didn't really have that villain. Mm-hmm. You know, people didn't like Steppenwolf. Uh, they didn't really care for the villain in Wonder Woman. Uh, they didn't really care for uh, the way that Batman and Superman went, even though the beginning of that movie was pretty good. It was the middle and the end that were crummy. Right. So you know there it's it just hasn't caught on as much and then you had a couple of real hiccups in there too uh with just some bad stuff that came out but um but you know marvel has just done it great and the thing is is honestly the marvel movies haven't been if you really look at it that much better than dc as far as like contextually mm-hmm. look at justice league uh versus avengers the first avengers movie earth is being ravaged by a horde of who know what's from another world, and heroes have to come together to fight them. But the, the difference is, is that Marvel, like I said, they kind of fell backwards into this because they weren't, they didn't have the plans then that they have now. So they were developing characters that you were liking, and they were right. doing a good job of telling you the movie before the character they're going to introduce next to get to, um, to get you interested in it and they knew they were going to do an avengers movie after i think the first thor movie but dc wanted to do it like in a day and that mm-hmm. was really their their biggest mistake where marvel had had since 2007 um and f- a five year plan before avengers 1 where yeah. dc you know the time between man of or man of steel and batman and superman was only 3 years yeah so it's you, you, you didn't get a chance to fall in love with the Ben Affleck Batman, who, by the way, Ben Affleck was good in Batman versus Superman. He was just terrible in um, Justice League. So, yeah. you know, but Shazam was great, though. I really like Shazam. So I think Shazam is going to be, you know, Wonder Woman was, was good. And I think that a lo- they've got something that they can start building on here. So we'll have to see.
1: Yeah. And I would probably throw Aquaman in there, too. Uh, uh, Very good movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think, I think they have something in uh, Jason Momoa. If they know how to actually guide that character, I think mm-hmm. they really, I think they really can do a lot with that. And yeah, and something more. Yeah, I think it's their Thor. Exactly. That's exactly what I think. I'm mean, like, they have their Thor, and I think that's that's probably who we're gonna have to build around. Out of all the MCU movies, which one is your favorite, and which character is your favorite?
0: This is an easy question because the Winter Soldier is the best film. There's, yeah, there's, there's no question about it. Um, though Black Panther is one A, so okay. or one one B, I guess you would say in this in this case, it, it's Black Panther is almost as good, but Winter Soldier is still the best movie. It's a spy thriller. It's you know Robert Redford is astonishing. Oh my gosh, he was he was It's, it's just a good movie. You know, it's got a solid beginning, middle, and end, and I love it. And I can watch that movie over and over again. And I was totally not expecting Endgame to call back to that movie uh, mm-hmm. because I kind of figured that, that that arc was dead with Hydra. But, yeah. you know, I was happy to see that they that they did so. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, really, the only criticism I had of Endgame is that you they didn't include... Um, the Netflix television shows, Daredevil and Luke Cage and, and those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you owed the TV audience who liked those shows at least a two second cameo and they didn't do that. But outside of that, you know, um, it was, it was great. So anyway, Winter Soldier was the best one. Black Panther 1B as far as uh, my favorite character. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of good ones. It would be between, um, again, the villains. It's either got to be Killmonger or, or Loki. And, and because of mass content, you got, I think I'd go with Loki. Although the Michael B. Jordan Killmonger character was... Oh God, he played to say he wasn't riveting would be a lot. He was absolutely riveting in that role. Yeah. And, and the, the juxtaposition between him and Malcolm X and then looking at uh, T- T'Challa versus um, juxtaposing him with Martin Luther King Mm-hmm. is not lost on
1: me one bit. Mm. Yeah, uh, and, and I'm a huge Black Panther fan, but yes, I'm with you, and this was, I have to, full disclosure, I, I put this question in because I figured I know the air answer was going to be Captain America Winter Soldier, because I wanted to talk about that for a couple <laughs> of minutes. Uh, yeah cuz cuz i wanted to hear from someone else and especially someone who actually has delved in and watched all this even with more intent than me why that movie was so good and yeah uh, i'm with you i could watch winter soldier over and over and over again it's like they they just hit all the right notes with the right type of villain uh they, you know the the you know the right the, the 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 hero playing the heroic figure the right way the person that you thought was a villain but he, he ended up being basically just a conflicted person and it, it it just was wonderful to see how all of that coalesced and i love that and yeah with black panther uh yep. i've always I, I always loved the interplay that you saw with uh t'challa and killmonger where it's like you especially at the end you think okay well they fought Okay, they may reconcile after they drop the swords. But Killmonger was like, look, I... uh, mm -mm. Yeah, he said,
0: dump me in the ocean.
1: Yeah, I can't live this way. I I gotta live the way I live. And and if I'm gonna live basically oppressed, I don't want to. Right. How that villain in particular is, is depicted, to me, that I think is what and I really do, outside of Robert Downey Jr., because if I were to ask you who's, your, who's the best actor <laughs> in the MCU character uh, yeah. canon, yeah. that's, that's a slanty question. That's an easy answer. Right. But other than Robert Downey Jr., to me, what makes the magic of the MCU is the fact that you have these villains who are so layered. They, they are so layered. You it's, it's like you can see part of yourself in them. And it's as if you, you get the chance to see there could be some good in this villain, like, of course, the Winter Soldier, Bucky himself, which there ended up being, you know, there's some good in that villain. And then on the other end, where you have, you know, Iron Man, who, yeah, he, he's he's awesome, he saves the world, but he's a butthole. You right. have Captain America, <laughs> yeah. who's probably the best of them all, but the fact that he's the best of them all is a bit flawed. And you, you know exactly. what you know, and and, and and Bucky was a
0: villain, but he would never sexually assault a woman. Tony was the hero, but he would, right? You know what I mean? Like, and, and I'm not saying that they didn't do that on in sc- on screen, but like Tony was a little bit more misogynistic. Bucky was like, you know, way, respectful of people that he came across in in the daytime. Yeah. you know what I mean. Tony wasn't, so it was it was great, and it's like the casting was so good, and but the writing is always more important than the acting and you can prove this by looking at amazing right. spider-man 2. Jamie Foxx is a great actor. Electro sucked. Oh my god, yes he did. You know, so it's like just because you have a great actor playing that part doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be successful, you know. And like nobody knew who Tom Hiddleston was before right. this. Mm-hmm. You know, but he's just astonishing as yeah, as, yeah. Loki. He's as Loki. He is so good. Yeah. And it's just, you know, but but the other thing about Marvel is, like, it ties in to reality. Like, on our show, what we do a lot is we did a um, – actually, we did a show um, on Black Panther. We did a juxtaposition of Black Panther versus U.S. politics. And, like, the, the Killmonger versus Malcolm X or Huey, uh, Huey Newton um, of the Black Panthers, um, you know, th- th- those – those realities are there and like I, I liked I like the way that Marvel ties in the struggles of like social media and popularity and all that type of stuff. In a very you know, they, they deal with those real world issues there in certain films, especially in Black Panther, just in a way that it's palatable to audiences that normally would not be open to hearing that that sort of narrative. And it's Marvel has done a really good job with that again, where DC has fallen completely flat and has left that to the, to the side, but also because DC uses fake cities and um, like Metropolis and Central City and stuff where, um, where Marvel uses actual cities. So, you know, that's it, a bit of a piece of it there too, I think, but the, the, the acting has been good, but the writing again has been just very, 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 very rock solid, I think is the best way to put it. It's, it's enjoyable to consume.
1: One third from voice from the underground and the podcast producer of the show, Jason Dutch joins me on revelations. We debuted a new segment. It is called just our thoughts and this extends a good while, but I think you're going to enjoy this. I asked, of course, what is voice from the underground? Take a listen.
0: I have co-hosts. Oh wait, yes yeah, I do. do. Uh, yeah, do. <laughs> <laughs> so, Voice from the Underground started in October of 2017. We we started first talking about it uh, in the summer of that year. Um, and you got to remember we're, in, we're we are in a post-Trump world. So, right. We, uh, Big Haas is one of my co-hosts, and TJ uh, John Stone is the other of my co-hosts. And um, I have I, I met TJ playing softball and I knew he was a radio host. He was a radio host on a small um, radio state, a college-based radio station. He had a midday show. And so I would, because I knew him from softball, I would watch his like Facebook lives of this show. And, you know, so I knew that he had the velvety voice and everything like that. Um, Haas and I were friends from uh, our, our motorcycle club. We were mm-hmm. in a motorcycle club together, and I knew that he was very left-wing. And I was more of a – at the time, I was definitely a, a conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, but I during the 2016 campaign, I was very anti-Hillary mm-hmm. all the way up until Trump got the Republican nomination. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, I left. Once he was the nominee, I left the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Um, now, oh, now, I was never a card-carrying member. I had voted for non-Republicans for other stuff in the past. You know, I voted for Obama in 2008, mm-hmm. um, but I voted for Romney in 2012. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had voted for Bush once. I had voted for, I think I might have even voted for Pat Buchanan as a throwaway vote years ago before I knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I was a p- pretty anti-Hillary. So I ended up voting for Gary Johnson. and. Uh you know, Haas and I were were doing a lot of debate about about that mm-hmm. and about like, you know, what how bad was Hillary more, more or less during the 2016 campaign. Right. Um so we decided, you know what, instead of talking about this on Facebook, let's do a podcast. And Haas is very into civil rights, he's very into equality, yeah. he's very into shining a light on disadvantages to people of color. And honestly, I think I've pulled him uh my way on a couple of things and I know for a fact he's pulled me his way on a number of them. Um, mm-hmm. like, you know, stuff like white privilege and stuff like that where I knew it existed, but I didn't think it affected people and now I have a better understanding of it. So I've learned a lot during, um, our conversations and, and even more so during the conversations we've had on this podcast and because of the fact that there's just so much inequality in the world especially in the United States when it comes to things like education and and white flight and stuff like that, that people who are conservative, they think of it as being mythos and being created by the media and being, you know, not really as bad as people say they are. And they think racism is relegated to the backwoods of Alabama, you know, and they don't. But but our show is there to sort of invoke some thought into here. You know, we realize you're just a person. We realize that You know, you may not wake up in the morning hating Latinos, but a lot of the things that you do feeds into this nomenclature uh, that is very anti-Latino and leads to things like this shooting. And that's why our podcast started. Obviously, not that we were around long before this shooting last weekend, but, you know, there have been other things that happened before that. This isn't a new occurrence. So we started for that reason, but also, you know, we're not just a political show we right. tie it all into pop culture and stuff like that. So because we're big fans of like, you know, Game of Thrones, walking dead, black mirror, you know, the, the superhero stuff we talked about before. So, mm-hmm. um, and we're big sports fans. So we talk about it a lot. And, and what we try to do is we say, we talk about something fun and then we talk about something important. So we try to rope you in with the MCU talk and then flip you to, um, Something more important, like social issue, issues and systemic issues and and stuff like that. And we don't agree on a lot of stuff. You know, I'm 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 entrenched in the middle right now, uh, where TJ is a little bit more conservative, believe it or not, at least socially conservative, mm-hmm. um, and um, economically conservative. He he's he's socially liberal, I should say, but he's economically conservative, and he's morally conservative. Right. Uh, the House is. Haas says he's not a progressive, but he's a progressive uh, <laughs> But um, with the exception of his support for the, um, for gun, you know, he's a gun owner. So outside right. of that, he's a progressive, mm-hmm. um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, so we, we came together. We're all three Chicago guys. We all rode bikes. None of us, only Haas lives in Chicago, still Jack, uh, TJ moved to Jacksonville, Florida. I moved to California and, um, you know, so we cover all time zones. And we're just we're just a real good place to to come and listen to some honest, sometimes debate and sometimes agreement. The one thing we're all in agreement on is that this president needs to go. But we have different reasons as to why we think that. So that's why we're there. But we don't just regurgitate CNN talking points either. You know, we look at things from a perspective of you know what are what is fact, what is what what is real, and what's memorex, right? And stuff like that. And then looking at the hypocrisy of where the republican party was during the clinton administration and the things that they were trying to champion at that time compared to what they're doing now and the hypocrisy is is real it's it's there on the left too but it's it's certainly more um amplified on the right so that's that's voice from the underground in a nutshell we're, Mm -hmm. we're usually pretty active on twitter until
1: yesterday (laughs) Yeah, I I, I saw that. I'm like, oh, man. So uh, VFU is uh, public enemy number one to the NRA. Interesting. (laughs) I don't know about number one,
0: but we were attacked uh, by Dana Loach um, and our Twitter account was suspended. So we had about not a huge following, about 7,500 Twitter followers. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, they, they shut us down for some BS.
1: Oh, man. My my, VF, my VFU brothers have, have suffered the public enemy. Uh, Twitter shut mm-hmm. them down. Oh, yep. man. Mm. So, what, well, I, um, if Trump has not done this, what has politically made you a centrist?
0: Well, I think in hindsight, I've kind of always been a centrist, but mm-hmm. my, my family was very conservative. Yeah. And... You know, my, my folks are one-issue voters. They vote on abortion. Oh. It is what it is, right? Yeah. So um, I, I am, but see, the left, the left is freaking crazy. Okay. So into that, yes. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's just that they are, and not all of them. Like Haas isn't crazy, but right. and, and he's a leftist, but the, the, the aggregate is out of their freaking mind mm-hmm. about destroying people's lives. And obviously the right's doing it too, but the, right. you know, we're, we're a victim of that now. But at the same time, you, if, if someone is pro-life, mm-hmm. there's a tendency for people on the left to just assume that they hate women Thank or that you. they're misogynist or whatever. Yes. Emphatically false. Yeah. If, if you believe in your heart of hearts, that an unborn child is a life form that should be protected. I will not crucify you for that belief. That's your belief. Right Now I will challenge you on your infringing on someone else's right. And I will challenge mm-hmm. you on, is it an independent life form or not? Because, you know, there, there is some, some question there. But there are really good arguments on both sides to abortion. There is compelling evidence on both sides of abortion and I'm sorry if you're listening to this and you think that I am wrong, but I am not wrong. When it comes to this, there's there is compelling evidence from neurosurgeons who do surgery on unborn babies to say they are very much alive. You know, there are there are nurses who um who have quit abortion clinics because they just can't see they can't get over a leg being pulled out and then an arm being pulled out. Right. It's like, this is yeah. disgustingly sad stuff. Yeah. Savage. I am, Yeah. Savage it, stuff. It, it really, really is. And, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it's, it's difficult, you know, being a guy who has had an abortion happen to him where he was against it. You know, I felt like I didn't really have a voice there mm-hmm. and, you know, I cried when that girl had an abortion, you know, and it, it, it was, it was difficult. It actually happened to be twice. So, you know, I, I will never fault someone for being pro-life. Now I'm pro-choice, but I'm, but, but I refuse to, what I'm saying is I, I refuse to vilify pro-lifers for that belief. Now there, if you want to go stand outside an abortion clinic with pictures of chopped up baby parts and call people oh. murderers and scream at them. I, then you're an idiot. Um, these people are going through a rough time. But my point is, Cole, that the, the left has a tendency to just want to eat them, you know, destroy these people and, and out them as misogynist woman haters who love patriarchy. Right. And that's not, while that may be true sometimes, it is not true for, you can't paint with too broad of a brush. Right. That's an example of why I'm a centrist, because I understand where both people are coming from. You know it's the same with taxes. I am very much in favor of low taxes, but I'm not in favor of Amazon paying no taxes Oof. right mm-hmm. so i i I am very much an advocate for universal health care insurance being provided to every American, but I am not for giving it to undocumented um, aliens. I guess is the i shouldn't they, they don't want me to use that word, but I mean undocumented immigrants. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I got a little horse in my throat here. But the, um, you know that, that's why I'm a centrist, because I'm not afraid of my friends defriending me because of my belief. And I will pull things from the right and I will pull things from the left and say, this is what I think is right because it seems right to me not because my party says it's right, so therefore I must obey my party at all costs. I am not into schadenfreude uh, when it comes to the other side either. So, you know, it's I, I've, a lot of people say, well, you know, a centrist, they can't make up their mind. They they're They're indecisive. They can't make a decision. No, you're wrong. What a centrist does is a centrist looks at the arguments and the facts and says, on this particular issue, I feel this particular way because of this. And here's the key part if you disagree with me, I am open to discussing this with you and maybe you can change my mind. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is if you're tying it to party, whether you're Candace Owens or your Alyssa Milano, right? They are, they, they. you think that they will, either one of them will take a side against their party on any issue, name anyone, right? Like, let's say yeah. that Alyssa Milano <clears throat> decided that she... Uh, was going to be for, um, she was going to become pro-life, right? Or if Candace Owens decided she wanted to be anti-gun, they'd get ripped open by their own communities. Of course they're not going to do that. Right. They're being dishonest. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not saying that they don't believe the way that, well, Alyssa Milano does. Candace Owens is a complete effing fake. But um, you understand the point. Mm -hmm. I don't base my views on what my pal's, in my party think because centrists have a huge spectrum of things that they believe in. I might be a centrist who is um, pro-choice and anti-gun where another centrist might be pro-gun and anti-choice. All right. But we're still centrists. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, there's not a lot of homogenous belief in that community and, and it's, but, but there's a lot of discussion in that community and that's the part that I like. And that's why I'm there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what I also love is, like you said, there is an openness to ideas. There's an openness to, uh, right. There, there's an openness to philosophies and what I have noticed in just the last, it, it's become more painfully obvious the last three years, but, what I have noticed basically the last two decades is that you have to, if you say that you're for the elephant, you have to be what the elephant stands for. If you're for the donkey, you gotta be what for the donkey stands for. And and it's it's to the point where it's like you're looking at sports teams instead of political parties. And it's like if Exactly if you're a Democrat and you see a Republican say something, no matter what they say, you gotta rail against it. Or yeah, it's Schadenfreude. And the opposite is true, yep. too. And that is what bothers me. That's what's always bothered me, and it continues to bother me.
0: It's like Bears Packers, dude. It's ridiculous, right. But right. it's, this is,
1: that's a game. Right. This yeah, is we're talking the about life. Yeah. We're talking <laughs> government and talking life. This has a far bigger impact, <laughs> far bigger impact on exactly. our lives. Exactly. And a Packers Bears game. And look, I love football. But I mean, this has a far bigger impact, uh, which leads me to this next question. Uh, I think that I think I, I think I'm going to hear the answer that I believe uh, that uh, this question will generate. But I'll ask it anyway. All do right. you believe? Do you believe that we are seeing the extreme sides of both the Republican and oh, Democratic okay. Party? Yeah.
0: Yes, without question. The, the problem that we have here today is this. And believe it or not, the guy who said this best was Ben Shapiro. Mm-hmm. He said the extreme right is 8% of the Republican Party. But they're the loudest 8%. Yeah. yeah. The, the extreme left progressives are 8% of the Democratic Party but they're the loudest. So what's happening is because they're the loudest people are moving in that direction. And the and the Republicans and Democrats right now are further away from each other ideologically than they have ever been. And honestly, people in the middle are the ones being left out. Not, yeah. you know, where's my tribe? <laughs> you know what I mean? So yes, the loudest voices are coming from the margins.
1: Yeah, uh, and 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 it seems as though it's getting louder and louder. And I would say scarce, but that's not really what it is for me. It angers me. It angers me sure. that we are allowing the fringes to speak and the other aspects of life, saying, "You know, you both are idiots. <laughs> you both yeah. are absolute idiots."
0: That doesn't mean every idea that they have is wrong. I mean, like, there no. there are things that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez says that I think are silly, and there are things that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez says that I think are spot on. Right. You know, it's the same thing. Like, I think Lindsey Graham is an ass, <laughs> but, you know, it, but, but that's not to say that every policy that he votes for is, is marked by Satan. Right. You know, it's, it's just crazy that, you know, You have, you have to pick a side and you you don't, you now, when it comes to this next election, you could throw Bart Simpson up there and I'll vote for him over, over Trump. But because we've seen how bad this is, but every policy that Trump has implemented has not been horrible. There have been okay things that Trump has done. It's just so grossly outweighed by the narcissism and the division and the racism and the clear taking away of medical benefits from people and his rhetoric over the wall and his and, and immigration and Latinos being dirty and ripping on Congress people of color and saying that Don Lemon is stupid, you know, not it, it's <laughs> and Don Lemon is not the smartest journalist out there. But, you He's know, not. Don Lemon is certainly not a dumb man. He's not. You know, and and he he just has this tendency to completely rip on people of color at a rate that's about five or six times what he does with white people. With white people, he'll rip on a few, he'll rip on Pelosi and you know Hillary for sure, um, you know, and, and a couple others. But it's like he just randomly cherry picks people of color, and it can't be a coincidence. You know, when you when you're tweeting out that they're coming. These people are murderers, these people are racists or yeah, that, these people are rapists I meant to say I'm the rape, I'm the racist, they're the rapist. Uh, they're, they're going to implement socialism, they're going to take over our jobs and they're coming and they're rat and fret root and and there's Muslims in there. there's Muslims, they're coming with the Muslims and it's Nicaragua's terrible place and Venezuela sucks. And you hear this rhetoric, and then someone says, yeah. Actually, what happens is a lot of people say, yeah, he's freaking right. And then of all that group of people, one of them says, you know what? He's right, but he's not doing enough. So you know what? I'm going to do something, and I'm going to go freaking shoot up a Walmart. Mm. Or I'm going to go shoot up a mosque in New Zealand. Or Pittsburgh, you're so dishonest that it's ridiculous to sit there and say that this guy isn't charging things. Did he go pull the trigger? No, but he has fed into this narrative that people from other societies are—you know—that's good. More people from Norway. Norway is nice. Guess what? Norway's freaking socialist, you idiot. But they're white, so you don't think of it that way. It's just, it, it's mind numbing to me, the hypocrisy. And, the, and, and this guy is, it's, it's the good things he's done, like, you know, with Pakistan and stuff like that. And, you yeah. know, give me credit for getting the, the folks back from, from North Korea. But right. he's sitting there and buddy budding with Kim Jong-un, mm-hmm. who has people who oppose him blown up in front of their family by anti-aircraft guns. This is what he does. If you disagree with Kim Jong-un, he lines you up on a runway, shoots you with an anti-aircraft gun, and has your family applaud. And this is the guy you choose to be good pals with. And Putin, who is a KGB agent, who I don't really want to say anything too bad about Putin because I like to live. (laughs) Right? You know, it's like, uh, seriously. And, and he's, but these are the people that he idolizes. Mm-hmm. You know, look at look at the way he acted when he was an owner in the USFL. Yeah, he was trying to destroy the league so that his one team, New Jersey Generals, mm-hmm. could go could be a, could go to the NFL. That's why he signed Herschel Walker. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. It, he was he was actively trying to destroy the USFL from within, so that the USFL would say we're going to the NFL would pick up a couple of the teams, and he thought I'm going to have the best team for them to pick up because I'm going to have Herschel Walker.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was 100 percent what it was. Yeah, and then along with it, convinced them that it would be a good idea to say that well, yeah, the NFL is running a monopoly. Let's sue them, and then they won. Mm-hmm. And and for their winnings, they got one dollar per year with interest. Yeah, and what I love about that 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 settlement is the NFL. <laughs> the NFL gave Trump a three dollar eighty six cent check with the banishment to own no team in the NFL, <laughs> and they said, "Have a nice day." <laughs>
0: Because at and, the time, he looked at that as the apex of being a business owner, was being an NFL
1: owner. Right. Yeah. To the point where he tried to do that before he became a president. And the NFL still said no when he tried to own the bills. He's still and, trying to own the NFL by, by, by blackballing Kaepernick. Well, and, and, that's, and that's where I was going to go. And here's how it all comes full circle. So he sees his $3.86 check, and then he hides, by the, he hides behind the, the guise of patriotism to stick it to the NFL owners who now donate to him. So it's like, okay, who has the last laugh? And people don't get that this isn't about a political thing, and it's not even about a moral thing. This is about a narcissist, an elitist, who wants to get back at other elitists, and he looks at the 32 NFL owners and he says, gotcha now. Trump is that way I mean yeah he has done wonderful things as, as, as president and I will say that I don't care if you're a democrat I will say he has done wonderful things but the man talks slick and the man does dumb things and the man says dumb things and I don't care if you're a republican you hear that that's just the truth too right We have come to the portion of the show where I shout out De La Soul. This is what we call it, plug tuning. So <laughs> De La Soul, <laughs> 90s hip hop, baby. That's right. So my friend, where can the people find you?
0: Well, up until Dana Loesch had our Twitter account suspended a couple of days ago, uh, yesterday, yes. actually, uh, It w- hopefully that'll be back up so you can check Twitter for Uh, at VFU Podcast in the coming days. Um, We are on Instagram at the same, at VFU Podcast. Uh, Haas does a lot of cigar postings there uh, because part of our show, he does a little segment called Haas's Humidor, and um, he reviews a different cigar every week. Uh, So you can find us on Facebook. You can just type in your – actually, the easiest way to find Voice from the Underground is open up friggin Google and type Voice from – the underground if you type voice of the underground you're going to find some book uh we're a voice from the underground uh you can type that in on twitter and you will find us everywhere we're on all your podcasting apps um you know spotify iheart radio itunes google stitcher spreaker we're on all of podbean all of those uh you can go to www.vfupodcast Dot dot com if you want to listen to the show. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Or you can check out our website, which is www.vfupodcast.yolasite.com Dot com That's Y-O-L-A-S-I-T-E. Um, and uh you can there's links there to everything, bios, our Patreon. That sort of stuff. And I will plug that real quick. That's one thing I'm proud of that we do is we have a Patreon set up. And one, what we do is we use that to pay, you know, like most guys, we use that to pay for our show. We don't have a huge Patreon subscriber base. I think it's like 50, 60 bucks a month. So if you want to contribute, great. But what we do is we donate one out of every three months. We give our entire Patreon to Wounded Warrior Project or Doctors Without Borders. Um, so it's one of those two charities. We do a, usually a poll on Twitter to see who wins. But um, so we give one third of our, one out of every $3 we get, we give that back to charity.
1: We see a podcast that does things for others and donates to wonderful charities as well. And
0: still gets suspended from Twitter for inciting violence. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and still fights the man and fights the power. <laughs> yep. Well, ladies and gentlemen, one third of voice from the underground and the producer of said show and a friend and brother of mine, Jason Dutch. My man, I love you and thank you for this time. I appreciate your voice and I appreciate you as a human being.
0: Thank you, man. Same to you. and We can look forward to having you back.
1: How important is it to be invested in your community, your life? When you talk about these things and you look as to where look at where you are in life and you do things to make it better, you tend to want to spread that outward to others. And sometimes you see that things are not going your way or you see things that just doesn't look right. And you want to speak out on that. And sometimes you're looked upon as a villain or you looked upon as a naysayer, but all you're doing is speaking the truth. All in all, you want to have diversity and unity, all in the same spot. The word says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That thirst to find out the truth of everything seems to fuel this particular guest. And if I had to say if there's anything I learned from him, it pretty much is that quality right there. You don't have to settle on what you're being taught. You can challenge that norm, but do so with respect and see if you can educate somebody in the process while you're being educated yourself. Many thanks to Jason Dutch, and you can listen to the VFU podcast or Voice from the Underground on Podbean and other podcast directories for changing the world one conversation at a time I'm Cole Johnson and this has been Revelations for more on Revelations go to PIPPA spelled P-I-P-P-A dot I-O and all podcast directories. Music by Lakey Inspire.